Welcome back to another episode of the podcast room by a software engineer. I'm your host, Perry, and today we got Siddharth on the show. Sid, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Perry? Yeah, I'm doing great. Dude, we got to get the energy in here, man. Um, we're very close to the end of the pandemic. I hate talking about it, but for the people who don't know what's going on or even listening down the line is that we are currently living probably towards the tail end of the COVID pandemic of 2019. But yeah, always love to have different guests on the show. And, you know, even your story itself is really interesting. So yeah, thank you again for being on the show. Yeah, I know. It's my pleasure. I mean, for the people who don't know you, actually, like, what does your, I guess, day-to-day look like? All right, so I'm Siddharth. Um, I'm a software engineer at Uber, and I'm living here in San Francisco, California. I'm starting to go back to the office um, a few days a week, and yeah, it's a, it's a pretty nice building, and yeah, and I, I love my work, and that's sort of the summary of my life right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even, even if just a little excerpt of what it is like we could dive so much into it because when you're talking about there are different conditions right when you're saying going back to the office is because for the past at least months or like year now a lot of people have been working remotely and especially for you know a pretty big organization like uber managing that kind of who works where or who you know how does that work that's always been a tough challenge to figure it out so i think we'll definitely have time to dive into that but i think like if we just figure out how you got there to begin with because I know like there's a lot of uh, there's there must have been a lot of ups and downs to get to you know being able to work as a software engineer at Uber and then even being able to live in the Bay Area where you know uh, all the all the crazy idea comes from but you weren't originally from uh, California right the Bay Area like where did you grow up? I grew up uh, mostly in New Jersey actually that's where I went I spent my middle school and in high school years yeah before that I actually lived in Texas during my early childhood and up through like part of elementary school. Um, and yeah, um, graduated from high school in New Jersey. And I went to college at uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta. That is already like pretty interesting because I do know, I mean, at least for myself, I went to the elementary school, secondary school, and kind of like university in the same town. So like in the same city in Montreal. And then when you have this perspective, like, just leaving your house that early. Well, I assume that when you moved from Texas to New Jersey, your family probably went with you. But then by this time you actually got to university, you got to college. Like by that time, you're probably living in a dorm, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you're kind of just like on your own figuring out what's going on with that. But if, because the things like what I'm always fascinated, interested about is the influences of where you grew up and how it affect like, you know, the decisions you make nowadays. If we talk about Texas real quickly, like how much of that do you remember? Is that, was that like, they did have any like pivotal moment during that time of your childhood that you know made you realize that oh that's funny because a lot of stuff I do today might have been caused by that at that time um nothing has really been influenced by that time so I was living in Texas from the time I was from the time I was like about one or two years about one years old actually um until I was eight from eight is when I moved to New Jersey um so I don't have nothing really from that period of time influences who I am today but I, I have a lot of like you know f- fond memories from that time. I do, I can remember pretty far back um, to my, my earliest friends back when I was like, from like, I was, I was like four or five, six years old. Um, and yeah, I really cherish those memories. Yeah. That's great. I mean, when we talk about friends from back then, did any of them become like software engineers at the end of the day or? Uh, uh, two of them did actually. Yeah. So some of my, um, my earliest friends, um, my earliest family friends actually are now um, studying one one is studying computer science, um, and another one is currently um, a software engineer. See, like yeah. you know, sometimes like that's one of the great <laughs> things that when you kind of realize that uh, whether it's a coincidence, obviously, whether it's all by luck, that there might have been something that happened to it. Um, I'm saying this because if I just have to think back for all the the people that I went to elementary school with or 
people that I went to high school with, like the people that ended up becoming software engineers, I guess it's still in the, I guess the handfuls. It's not like half the people that I grew up with that ended up getting into tech and working, you know, as a software engineer. So it's always fun, fun to find like these kind of bubbles. I feel like one of the stereotype probably is uh, if you probably grew up in San Jose or something, or if you went to school in San Jose, I'd assume that half of those people are <laughs> working in tech or as a software engineer. So it's good to even have that spin to it. But you did mention uh, when you were in New Jersey, that's kind of where you did, you know, the, the high school. And that's kind of like very influential in terms of how it kind of guided you, um, I guess, what led you into tech and what may have, you know, deterred other people from getting into tech. Um, from my experience, when I was in high school, I had to choose. I had to choose between going into the kind of history path or the science path. But that was in Montreal, obviously, in Canada, which is different. Yeah. How did that look like uh, in New Jersey? What was the system there? Like, did they make you choose maybe at the age of 15, 16, like a path? Or what did that look like? Um, it was really, uh, there was no particular path. Um, uh, while I was in high school, there was just, um, once I started applying um, to colleges, um, in uh, in my senior year of high school is when I I, I, I would have had to apply to a certain school, uh, whether it's a school of engineering or the school of sciences. That's when people um, really decide um, uh, where, where they want to go. Yeah. yeah. And how, how determined were you? How confident were you that this is the path that you wanted to take? Just to clarify, uh, what did you end up going? What was your study and I guess your major in university? Yeah, my study was um, actually computer engineering. Um, so it wasn't computer science. Uh, so, um, it was really in my, um, my, my freshman year of high school is when I took uh, my first computer science class. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a, a class in visual basic and I really liked it. And it was, um, at that time that I decided that I wanted to go into tech. Um, and the reason I chose computer science instead of, uh, computer engineering is because I was, I was curious about the hardware side as well as the software side. So I, I wasn't sure exactly which one I liked better. So I ended up choosing uh, computer engineering as a major when I was um, applying for colleges. Oh, well, when you mentioned the fact that you didn't know which one you wanted, like, I feel like that is very relatable because by the time I went into uni, it was more like the door was still, I wanted to have my foot in a lot of doors, right? As many doors as possible and making sure that you are making a decision, but you don't want to close like other doors that you're interested in. So uh, it's very, I, I think it's very, I guess, brilliant, brilliant, sorry, that, um, getting into computer engineering versus computer science, like even the like difference between those, like I, I'll get into that a bit just to be sure that, you know, I'm on the same page as you are for figuring that out. I did computer science. Yeah. Um, I didn't do computer engineering. So I guess there might be a little bit of difference between uh, the two. Yeah, there is. Um, one of the things that you actually mentioned that was really interesting is you mentioned during high school, they started teaching vis visual basics, sorry. That is uncommon. I'll, I'll probably say it out there. I don't know how many other states or how many other countries do it, but um, what did, how did that come about? Was it an elective? Was it a choice that you have to take to be enrolled into that class? Or was it just part of your curriculum when you were uh, studying high school? And that was in New Jersey, right? Yeah, that was an elective, actually. Um, it, was, um, it was a freshman elective. There were some uh, required number of electives I had to take. Um, and yeah, I ended up choosing that one. I, I don't think I was, at that time, like, when I chose that class, I was, I was actually like in, still in eighth grade when I was picking my classes for, for freshman year. Um, and I really didn't have, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. Um, so I just happened to have chosen computer science as the, 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 base, the, the, the intro computer science classes as one of the electives. Yeah. So, so you're telling me that 
at like it could have went completely different at that time. Like, what what are the other options that were presented to you? I mean, it could have gone very differently. Um, there was a class like um, yeah, there were other electives I could have taken. Whether it's like art, it could have been. There was also there was like a financial literacy elective that I actually was actually required, and I did take freshman year. I mean, I could have easily said, oh, I like finance a lot. I could have gone into finance. My dad is actually into finance, so I, I could have gone that route too. Um, no, I mean, really just, um, I mean, from like sixth grade onwards I, is really when I just, I just wanted to be like a really good student. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to just have the, the best grades, um, be on top of my class. And I wanted to get into like just top colleges in general, but I didn't know exactly, I didn't even know what I wanted to do specifically. All I knew, all I knew is I wanted to be a great student and get into a, a top college. That's yeah. all at the time. So it was really it was really um, after I took that first computer science class is when I decided, is when I actually had some idea of um, what I was really interested in. I mean, that's totally fair. I mean, even just hearing you say that probably makes your parents freaking happy. Um, yeah. If my parents heard those words out of my mouth, they'd be ecstatic as far as I know. And I definitely don't remember saying any, saying any of that. So <laughs> sorry, mom and dad. But um, that's actually really cool because I do, I do, even like in the previous episode, like the emphasis on high school, yes, you're still asking a very young person, probably between the age of 12 to maybe like 16, 17, to make yeah. decisions on that, right? Like mm -hmm. your whole life could have been either jump into the arts or your whole life could have been completely directed to finance, your whole life could have been directed to something completely else. Yeah. From a decision that's made quite early and, you know, in life kind of thing. And I'm, I'm just so fascinated that they did give you this exposure at that time. Uh, for my high school, I remember we had, it wasn't a computer science class, it was a very basic quick intro into HTML. So it was, it wasn't even a full like year semester. It was a, it was like a tiny, maybe like two or three hour session where they just mm -hmm. had somebody like just made us open a text file, save it as an HTML and drag it into a browser. Okay. And then like that just ended up working and we we're like, are you serious? It, well, obviously it wasn't hosted online. So it only worked on your local machine, mm. but the A tags, the image tags, I, I fondly remember it. And that was kind of, you know, my kind of story on that. Yeah. So you didn't take any like uh, computer science course in high school? Not at all. Okay, interesting. Um, I think it was just that influence that playing with computers, um, not choosing it directly during high school, but then like figuring out that it is a possibility. It is an actual option there. Mm -hmm. And um, funny enough, I actually did intro to computer science during my first semester when I was doing physio physiology and math. So in terms of an official class, that's when I did it. And I, it's probably very similar to the first intro to computer science that most people take if you go straight into a computer science degree. So. I think that combination of, yes, I had a little bit of exposure already throughout my childhood to, you know, computers and all that kind of software fun stuff. And then fortunately, having taken the intro to computer science at McGill, um, I felt confident that I was going to be, you know, left completely in the dust by the time I graduate. And yeah, it wasn't, it's not going to be an easy road no matter what, but I was more than happy to take on that challenge from that point. So was that something similar like when you when you felt that but like by the time you applied to university into computer science like that conviction or more than that reassurance that it's going to work out better than if you did something else was that similar or something that you thought about at that time yeah well um uh for for computer engineering at least like i i really did um like my software classes um my the the classes as a, compared to the hardware classes i really i was better at the the software classes and that's kind of why I chose to go the software engineering route actually and as part of it um, and yeah I actually did take a um, even though I was a computer engineering major I did take um, a bunch of CS classes that I actually really prepared me um, for the job that I have right now
That's fun. Yeah. Uh, to make it even more confusing, actually, from our experiences, yeah. there were two uh, software engineering majors that you could have chosen from. One that is in the Department of Sciences and one that's in the Department of Engineering. Oh, okay. So, so like, I was fortunate because my department, like, Department of Sciences, like, the drop-down thing, like, that stuck mm -hmm. into it. If I wanted to do software engineering but in the engineering department, mm -hmm. then it would have been a formal request to change into that department and do all of that. I think they get a ring or something, but then again, they also do a lot more hardware than software, even though it's a software engineering major at that time, but... Okay, is that the main difference between those two, like, software engineering and engineering department is, has some hardware? I think so. From okay. what I was telling people, they probably did like CAD modeling more than I did. All right. And by more than I did, I did zero of it. So <laughs> I'd assume that it's more than that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I actually skipped over, and I do want to pick your brain before I forget, is uh, your parents, obviously. That kind of influence. So you did mention that your dad was a little bit more into finance, but how is, was there anything else that was interesting that tied you know, into tech or tied into you know, the technology as time changes? Do you remember anything during your, your childhood that you know, could have had that influence there? Um, no, not really. My, my, either my parents are, are into tech. My dad is into finance. Um, my, and that's, that's what he, that's, that was his job. Um, no, they didn't really have an influence in terms of, um, of choosing, uh, uh, tech as a field, but both my parents did emphasize at an early age, the importance of education and, you know, doing well in school. And that had an influence on my motivation, um, to, to do well academically and, so in the end, like I like, I mean, that's part of the reason why I I I, I did choose um, the tech route as I saw it as like an intellectual job. And yeah, yeah. You you I keep on saying it. You caught the right wave. <laughs> um, we we keep on saying because every year there's even more and more and more people getting into CS, and like at some point there this is more like the pessimistic side to it is that like at what point is it too saturated? But from what we could see and what all the new features and all the new technologies coming out, like if it, if the work done by whoever's going through that program like and like makes everybody's lives better that's usually how i see it no matter how many people that goes into cs and then by the time they come out of it they end up working on a project that helps a lot of people so be it like i wouldn't mind the whole saturation point of too many people in cs or not enough people in cs um i don't know if you ever had an opinion on that but i do remember when i went into computer science like we barely filled up a class mm. One of the things that um, I actually, I don't know if I want to get into is when you were mentioning Visual Basic during high school. Like, let's get a little bit more specific there. Yeah, sure. How long was that course? Because I'm, I'm jealous. I have to say that the first thing is that if somebody showed me Visual Basic during high school, I would have been absolutely like ecstatic on it. So I want to see it from your, you know, literally your eyes. Um, how long was it? Like, what, what was literally the first thing they showed you in that? Like, what did that look like? It was just a semester, like a like half a year. So it was just like the uh, second semester, basically. Well, marking periods three, marking periods four. It was a quarter system in high school. Um, so yeah, just that, um, just those two quarters was was that class. And yeah, uh, Visual Basic. I it was just um, it was just ten projects that you were required to complete by the uh, by the end of that semester. Um, so. Uh, we were allowed to just work at our own pace. The, te the teacher wasn't very like involved. Like it was sort of like self-taught. We would, um, from what I remember, we would we would um, he would give like a brief lesson, but we would normally just sort of read the instructions and then complete the projects. It was it was very like we were. It was pretty independent. The students are very independent, getting it done. But also like I I didn't mention this, but I also took. Um, AP computer science, which is like considered the, which is, have you, do you know what AP classes are? 
Yeah, like, well, I mean, as a Canadian, I have like a brief like understanding of it. But if you just want to double, double clarify it. Okay, well, I'm not sure if the people listening to this knows what an AP class is, but it's basically like, um, yeah, it's a college level class that you um, that you can take in high school. Um, and, you know, it's uh, you can get credits uh, if you um, do well in the AP exam. Um, and you can waive a few courses in college and also like it's weighted in your curriculum. Like you, it, it boosts your GPA and, it's, and it looks good um, on college applications if you take in AP classes. Um, yeah, so I took AP computer science in my, ju- my junior year of high school. Um, that's Java, and now it's a full year. Yeah. That's really cool because, uh, yes, the intro to computer science class at McGill was also in Java. So good to know that, you know, it's not only a, I guess, Canadian thing. It's definitely a <laughs> multinational choice that people go with Java. People love to rip on it. Other people love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that's really cool. And this is not even before getting into the whole university stuff. So we're talking about all the high school stuff where you already got exposed to Visual Basic. And then even getting these AP classes during your high school days, that obviously had a good impact and good influence yeah. in terms of what you did. So I'm guessing uh, the basic stuff that... I covered in university, which is basically the for loops and the variable declarations and the variable types and all that. You've had all of that, I guess, covered during high school already? Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, my, like, my teacher wasn't like, like he wasn't that great at teaching computer science. Like he was actually, um, he was actually um, uh, mostly a math teacher, but he taught a few computer science courses. So like he, I thought he did a good job teaching the visual basic class, but I didn't feel like he did a good job teaching the, the AP computer science course, the Java course. So I, I feel like even though I, we did touch on those uh, subjects, it didn't, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like a proper education of um, object-oriented programming mm-hmm. uh, that year. Um, but I did, but what mattered was that it, it definitely was, um, I, had, I had some basic idea of, uh, at least of um, the basic concepts, I had some of the basic concepts of computer science, but I really had the interest by that time, uh, in, 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 uh, in software. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's really, and I mean, it was helpful. It was really in college where I got like the proper, um, yeah, computer science education. That's, I mean, that's great. I mean, let's, let's talk about college at this point then. So, uh, I guess for the people that are, I guess in high school and just thinking about this is if you have the option to take computer science or like any AP classes, sounds like you should do it. I mean, obviously if you have zero interest in like maybe not, but even if you have the slightest interest, like have a peek, definitely check it out and you might learn something. Um, shout out to also the rogue teachers that probably like the math teachers that end up teaching a subject that was probably not the main subject. Like you just, I just got to give them credit because without them, you never know exactly, you know, who else would do it. If they're not the one doing it, was there, was there going to be somebody, somebody else, you know, exposing the students to that. So mm-hmm. I think uh, there's always an appreciation for that. So if we talk about the university life, the college life and everything, like yeah. how does one get into it? I know the States, everybody loves talking about the States and the university system there. It's competitive. It's really freaking expensive for some of them. Yeah. And um, yeah, let's talk about that kind of journey. So um, where did you go exactly? Yeah. So Georgia Tech is where I went. Uh, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. That's, I mean, that's already great because Georgia Tech, you hear about it. Um, when you apply for Georgia Tech. Was that, I guess, like your number one choice? How does it go? Because from my lens of applying it to computer science, like mm-hmm. it's basically just, you know, finding the top uh, computer science school out there. Mm-hmm. One of them that gets thrown out there, obviously like Carnegie Mellon, like for some reason that gets thrown out there a lot. And then you have like 
Stanford and you have like all the other ones like Berkeley has a decent program Waterloo in Canada has a pretty good like a computer science program yeah what was your process like so you were in high school and then like you know you get exposed to computer science and you get these baggage of AP computer science and everything what what then what, what happened after yeah so um yeah one one thing that I, I I guess it was a sort of a mistake when applying to colleges is that um I wasn't looking at what was specifically the top colleges for computer engineering I was just looking at the sort of the national ranking, like what are the best colleges in general? So I ended up applying to like um, a lot of Ivy League schools. But in hindsight, that was a, a waste of time because a lot of those schools are not even like good for computer science. So it, I was, I'm, I'm glad that like I, I one of those school, among the schools that I applied to was Georgia Tech, um, which, which was um, one of the top schools for engineering and computer science. And I got into that. So in the end, it, it did work out. Yeah. And what were the actual requirements, actually, from uh, for for my experience when I was applying to university, we had a kind of special grade called the CRC that you would get during your CGIP years, which is last year of high school and then first year of uni combined. And was that a similar system like or what was the requirement if you wanted to go into, I guess, computer engineering at Georgia Tech? What were they looking at? Yes, you would apply specifically to um, the engineering, um, the this uh, the um engineering school um so yeah uh, they would look at your SAT scores they would look at your they would look at your gpa your your ap classes um and also your your college essays oh so you, those were essays that you specifically wrote to i guess to to apply exactly yeah and what was the topic on those because I, I haven't gone through any of that so now i'm just like more interested into it. okay i i actually i don't remember what my essays were about when applying to georgia tech because I, I i did I, 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 there were so many. There was the Common App essay, which is for um, just which is the gen, which is the essay you would use for um, all the colleges, and then yeah, there were also individual essays for each one you're applying to. I don't remember the one I specifically wrote for Georgia Tech. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's also always great to think about it. That like how significant was it? I mean, at that time it was probably like really majorly significant, but nowadays when you think about the topics and what's going on with that. One day, if you do dig it up and then find it, let me know. I'll, <laughs> I'm yeah. more than interested to, to know what that was on about. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, congratulations. Maybe a couple of years later, but you got into Georgia Tech and everything. Yeah. Um, let's talk about expectations. So, you got into Georgia Tech, and it is renowned to have, you know, obviously a de- decent tech program. But what is tech, you know? Like, I didn't know specifically that their computer science slash computer engineering program was... Uh, stellar but it does sound like it so what were your expectations going into fortunately a program like that uh were you expecting the i guess com- was was were you expecting a lot of competitive competition there were you expecting uh a lot of um material that you have not covered did you have to do the computer science like intro again what did that first look look like by the time you got to georgia tech yeah so yeah georgia tech is um it is one of the top uh, engineering schools it's like according to us news it's like number four for uh engineering number four for like uh, like computer, uh, computer science, I believe. And yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, a, it's among the top. So, um, yeah, I was expecting, yeah, people to be really smart there. And yeah, there were a lot of, you know, brilliant people, um, in Georgia Tech. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a different experience, like, you know, from high school, like, you know, you're, um, you, you're like, uh, on the top of, you're like among the smartest in your grade. And then, um, you know, and when you're in college, it's like there are a bunch of other smart people, people smarter than you. Yeah. So and a lot of people were, you know, really brilliant when it comes to computer science. So, yeah, uh, I, it was my expectations 
uh, were high and they were and they were mad. Oh, that's great. I mean, you keep on saying that there's people smarter than you, but but logically speaking, there's also people dumber than you. Yeah, <laughs> I can speak sure. for that for myself on that one. Like, I was probably definitely Democrat at the end. But one of the things mm-hmm. that I do want to ask actually is that uh, you've already been exposed to like you know for loops. I mean, I was exposed to for loops way later in my life. Mm-hmm. How much of that overlap spilled over from what you knew during high school and I guess like your first year of university? Did you find a lot of similarities? I, as in like, I want to see what the benefit was to take all these AP classes during high school. Did they go over the same subject during your first year at Georgia Tech? Yes, my first year at Georgia Tech, I actually took um, a MATLAB class, um, which is uh, which wasn't a required class for computer science, but it's a required class for computer engineering. And yeah, a lot of the same concepts that I've that I've um, that I learned uh, in my my high school CS classes, like um, like if statements, for loops, uh, yeah, things like that, like the basic sort of syntax. I'm already great that you already mentioned like a different language in quotation marks. Some people won't even consider MATLAB as a language, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's already great that you uh, already mentioned like different ones. So you have like I mean, high school Visual Basic, Java. And then uh, when you throw in all these other ones like MATLAB, what did that landscape look like for the for the program in general in the in the bigger picture? Was it still focused mostly in Java throughout your whole uh, undergrad degree, or did they also give you the chance to try, I guess, like C, Python, anything else in there? Yeah, so I was exposed to a bunch of different languages. So um, yeah, I um, my computer engineering courses were definitely uh, they used it used C a lot, so. I, it's, um, I took a lot of like um, uh, classes where you had to know like low-level languages like C. Um, it was sort of in the middle of uh, high school, and, I, and I, this is important to mention that I, as I mentioned before, I wasn't sure going into college whether or not I wanted to do um, computer engineering or computers. Or I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure whether or not I liked um, hardware or software more. And yeah, it was during college that I really, um, I really realized that software was my, was my interest. So um, yeah, I even though I was still a computer engineering, computer engineering major, um, I chose to take a lot of CS classes that were not required for my major, but I took them because I thought they were important for for my own knowledge and for um, pursuing a software engineering career. Um, and yeah, I, I was also I was also interested in um, like artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and machine learning those those topics, robotics. So I chose to. Um, even though I was continuing to minor in computer engineering, I chose to pursue um, a CS minor, specifically in artificial intelligence. So I took a bunch of um, CS classes um, like uh, uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, machine learning, um, computer vision. And yeah, those classes used uh, Python. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so the CS classes that I took, just for this, not for my major or for my minor, but for the sake of just the knowledge, um, yeah, that included uh, uh, operating systems, which did use C, but I also learned uh, Java uh, properly this time, like uh, uh, with um, the, the the intro Java course, and also um, I I took a data structures and algorithms course in Java, and that like that class specifically really prepared me for interviews. That uh, data structures and algorithms class, and that um, that's something that was not. Um, offered in the computer engineering curric- uh, uh, computer engineering curriculum. So um, had I not um, taken those CS classes, I probably wouldn't be 
a software engineer at Uber right now. So taking that data structures and algorithms class is what prepared me for um, my my uh, my interviews. My my and I, that's how I got my Uber internship two years ago. And it's, that class deserves a lot of credit. That's great to yeah. know that. Uh, I guess even for the people that are currently at Georgia Tech and they didn't even know that existed, like that might even you know just be a game changer at the end. Yeah. Um, it's actually really interesting because even from my point of view, like I've always been the software guy. So mm-hmm. uh, when I went to the program, it was all pretty determined. So there wasn't that kind of different luck factor of you stumbling onto something a CS class that is super beneficial at the end. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that it worked out for you and you did stumble upon it. Yeah. Um, what did these computer engineering classes look like? So you were saying like they might be using a lot of C in computer engineering. That's right. But they wouldn't be using that in terms of like, I guess the computer science side of, I guess the algorithms and figuring out. And you probably went over like currying or like you probably went over like uh, directed graphs or stuff like that. What was the contrast with computer engineering class? Like they didn't talk about algorithms. They didn't talk about data structure. What did they cover then? I mean, like, uh... They like we touched on some like data structures like we did talk about like hash tables for example linked lists, but it was really um, it was it was more hardware focused. So uh, I did take a class that where I, I learned C, but then that was it was sort of um, applying it to um, some hardware uh, like uh, being able to apply it to this um, some hardware technology that we had. So it was, we, there's something called um, an embed. It's like an embedded, um, uh, it's this thing where you can, you can dump code and it's attached to like a, like a, um, like a, like a, we, we call it a breadboard or proto protoboard where you can mm-hmm. add like resistors and buttons, things like that. And you can basically, yeah, you can use that code to um, control, yeah, that hardware. Yeah. I mean, Like, it sounds relatable, of course, because, like, you need some sort of computing to make sure that if you're going to shove that into a smart fridge or something, like, that's probably where I guess the intent was. Mm -hmm. The intent was being able to have some kind of logic to be able to feed, you know, hardware machines, like, whether it's a smart fridge or if you're going to build a car out of it or whatever it is. So I think that might have been the idea. And, yeah, now that you've mentioned that, I do understand the contrast between if we're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, building computers for hardware as opposed to just building software for yeah. like computers at the end of the day, that's probably, I guess, the, the good contrast to it. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely learned something new uh, in that aspect. Um, one thing that I clearly remember during my university days, so I did uh, computer science at McGill, there was, um, I, I always complained about not enough hands-on slash practical to it. So yes, you got all the algorithms, class, you got all the data structure class, you got all the software validation class, you got all the operating system class and everything. Yeah. Did you have at some point in that whole, I guess, uh, undergrad study where you had a project that you had to um, build from scratch? So my example was we had one year where we had two semesters. One of the courses was basically, uh, the first part was to blueprint, I guess, um, a game. And then throughout the second part of that year was basically just building the game. And I think that was in C Sharp. If I'm not mistaken, so basically, like that was right. kind of like the hands-on project where you have to build something. Okay. Did you have anything similar throughout uh, your days at Georgia Tech? Oh, uh, was that during your your last year? Was this like a? S- I think it was. I think it was during the last year. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, we have something in um, in our college. It's called a senior project. So yeah, I did have something like that for um, my computer engineering major. My my computer engineering, uh, yeah, student. Yeah, that was the final required class that I had to take for my 
for my major. So um, yeah, so I it was a we just I I had a team of uh, there were a team of five people, including myself, and the project we we decided was to um, build um, like a like a, a clock device where that will tell you the time um, just by just by asking for it. So you can ask the time and it'll record your, you'll say like, what is the time? And it'll record your voice. And then it'll, um, after processing what it's recorded, um, it'll, it'll uh, say out loud what the time is. And you could either um, uh, use your voice or you can press buttons on the device to, um, to ask the time. And also there is also a, an alarm system that we, that we added as well. Wow, I mean, so you could you could also set the time by with your voice. You can say, "I want to set the time to seven o'clock." I want to set the time to seven o'clock, or I want to set the alarm to seven o'clock, and it'll it'll record your voice, and you can do that for you, or you can use the buttons and manually do it. That's I mean, yeah. that's so great because like I've yeah. always complained about none of hands on, but that is definitely a prime example of hands on of an amalgamation or whatever that word is yeah. um, of hardware software and just being able to even if you want to apply like voice recognition which is already like a really tough problem to solve mm-hmm. putting all that together and um you did end up having a product at the end like you, you, you guys did end up building something that uh i guess met those criteria. yeah i did um unfortunately like um uh, it was uh this it was a bit disrupted because um during the semester when we were actually building it um this was spring of 2020 the pandemic hit in, in March, so our spleen we we had to we were all sent home and we had to try to figure out how we can work on this <laughs> while at home. So one guy had the um, one guy had the device in his home, um, and he was able to finish up some of the hardware. But we didn't have access to all the different tools that were available mm-hmm. on Georgia Tech campus. So um, even though we did have a working device on a circuit board, we didn't add um, we did not we were not able to add like a um, like a case and proper casing um, because we didn't have access to the 3D printers uh, in Georgia Tech. Oh, wow. So, but in the end, we did get a device that performed the, the function, even if it wasn't aesthetically great. I mean, you guys had a freaking 3D printer at Georgia Tech. So. Yeah. <laughs> even having access to that, I'm, I'm amazed and I always love hearing about it. And I mean, I obviously could dive into that, like into so much, but let's talk about the stack of that project real quickly in terms of like, what language you used to build it? I mean, you already talked about the, the uh, about the logic board there. Um, yeah, what was? I mean, how would you describe it for somebody that works in the tech? Like, what did you end up using to build it? Yeah. So um, for the hardware, uh, we used. Um, yeah, we there were buttons that we added to the to the um, to the proto board. Um, there was uh, um, there was a Bluetooth device that we used um, for. Um, Record for for uh, recording um, the voice. Uh, the recording the voice. Um, yeah. Um, Low level. In terms of, like... yeah. In terms of um, yeah, the the hardware. I we we sort of um, split up roles. So like my job was actually um, the the software person. So I was responsible for programming the software to to uh, to get it to work. I wasn't really delving into the hardware. Um, uh, someone else was responsible for that. So I worked in the software. I also, um, there was another part of the project, which was, um, also, uh, creating an app to, 
uh, as an alternative to control the device. So, so there are actually three options to control the device. You could, you could either use your voice, you can use it, you can use the buttons on the device, or you can use your app. So the idea is that you can control the device without having to touch it or or be in the same room as the device. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool. I mean, so, we're all just talking about a high, not high school, <laughs> university project, but even just having that mm-hmm. going on, that's really cool. Um, yeah. I do have to ask when you talk about software, like what was it built on? What was your input? Like, did it come in as, I guess, like a video file of the voice? Like, what, what did that look like just to be able to, I guess, compute the whole thing? Yeah, so we use this, this um, we found that we use this uh, um, something called Sphinx. We found this uh, repo online that actually um, that we that we can use to actually um, process the voice voice that gets recorded. Um, yeah, in terms of the technology that I used, in terms of what I programmed, yeah, I used um, Python, if I recall, yeah, to program the the device, and I used uh, Java. Uh, building the app. Oh wow! Yeah, those are uh, the good thing is that those are still very prominently used and very convenient in a lot of different scenarios. Actually, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't ask you this, but today, what's the most, I guess, common language that you, you use day to day? In my job, I used well in Uber. In my job, I use uh, GoLang. Okay. Go for the back end, and I use JavaScript for the front end work that I do. That's really sick. Especially, yeah. uh, I don't even know if universities even offer classes on Golang. That's probably the other topic that people could dive into. Like Golang, Rust, a lot of these newer technologies. Did they expose you guys at Georgia Tech for any of that? or No, they did not. I actually learned both of those things, um, both, of lang- both of those languages, uh, German internship at Uber. Yeah. That is great. Yeah, so learning, it's not so much... Um, when you're, when you're studying, this is, it's important for the audience to hear this, who are people who are interested in computer science, like learning computer science and going to software engineering, it's not so much just knowing the, it's so much more than just knowing the language. So once you know a language, you're expected to, um, just easily pick up a different language, uh, that you're exposed to. So by the time I've started my internship, I already, I've already known a bunch of languages. So it was expected that I would pick up this I'll pick up going pretty quickly. So just knowing the syntax differences and yeah, uh, picking up Golang and JavaScript wasn't that bad. JavaScript was a bit harder because it's it's very different. But yeah, generally once you know your once you know a language, you're yeah uh, you're expected to just easily pick up a uh, completely different language. I mean, I'm gonna 100% echo that. I've mm-hmm. probably said it definitely enough times before that. The term language agnostic, right? When yeah. when you go, at least like fortunately, the people that have gotten the opportunity to go through an undergrad in computer science, yes, you get exposed. Well, you have one language that is probably the main that you use throughout the whole uh, undergrad, but you do get exposed to all the other ones. And the idea behind it is that you do learn a lot about the conceptual understanding of if you need to sort something or if you need to, um, the data structures, like those are, you know, similar in different languages. Every language has, well, not all languages are typed, but (laughs) for the ones that are typed, they have some sort of similarity between it. And then when you are exposed to a situation where you have newer language, Golang, Rust, all the fun stuff that are coming out, you should be in the mindset to understand the concept behind them and then just pick them up. So yeah, I'll emphasize anybody who does understand that getting into, at least software engineering, is very language agnostic. Well, if you have a language agnostic mindset going into it, those are the people that usually, you know, fare better just because that's kind of how realistic it is that 
at some point or at any point, you could just end up picking up a different language or you're required to pick up a different language. And if you are able to, that's kind of where, you know, the people do really well and they're very, you know, fortunate to go through the whole software engineering path that way. But let's talk about that internship because this is something that everybody wants to hear about. Everybody wants to do it. I'll speak for myself. I did not do any tech internship during my university. Hmm. Um, I basically, during the summer, I did a lot of summer day camp and I worked on American Eagle. So <laughs> that was a very different landscape. That helped pay off my university. So I'll put it that. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about the people because it's attractive. Doing tech internships during your university, very attractive for everybody in CompSci. Even people that are not in CompSci, they, they, they'd kill for that opportunity, if I could say. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's start. How did that start? So, what at what year did you get exposed to it? Um, when did you did you get did you have to reach out to apply for internships? Like, what is the process for if somebody that is currently in that, you know, probably maybe first, second year, third year of university, where does that start? Yeah. So, um, uh, in my college, there is like a there's a career fair uh, where a bunch of companies, you know, uh, uh, come and visit uh, your college, and that's a good way to sort of connect with recruiters. Um, and you know you can show them your resume. You can talk a bit about your experience, and um, sometimes you can you can get some um, you can get some interviews um, uh, from from the career fair. Um, yeah, so that's that's uh, that's one good way to land an interview, whether it's directly getting it there or just uh, having that connection with um, the recruiter and getting that head start with getting your resume in. Um, but yeah, um, besides that, it's, uh, it's really just applying to, um, a bunch of companies, um, and for software engineering positions and, and being really prepared for interviews. Um, yeah, so, uh, the interviews are, are, are tough software engineering. They're, they're, they are hard. Um, so being prepared for that by, um, taking a data structures and algorithms course is very important. Um, and uh, there's also online resources like um, like Lead Code and HackerRank, which helped me a lot. Um, there's also a book called Crack the Coding Interview um, that also is very helpful. So having that preparation and and really putting and also putting yourself out there applying, you'll get the interview and you can do and if in uh, once you use your preparation to do well in the interview, you can land the internship, and that's a, a great way to get your foot in the door for getting or for for going on a great path to a great software engineering path path in your career yeah i mean i'm not gonna be shy to say that i've always been the one that uh <laughs> every time anybody mentions ctcr cracking the coding interview or like lead code and hacker rank there is that group of people that will cringe whenever they say that because nobody likes it just kidding some people do like them but <laughs> i don't know like there's always different camps to it there's only the people that will give it so much crap just because like it drills your mindset to be really good at interviews and how realistic is that in your day to day or the opposite, right? Like some people think that it is appropriate to do that for every single candidate, but then some other people are like, why are you doing those like very theoretical problems when, you know, what are the odds that you encounter them like on a day to day basis? So that has always been a topic. I'm probably not going to dive into because I'll spend another two hours going into the whole thing, but good advice for the people that are in that position and are looking into that. Like those are great resources, no matter if you like them or not. I've seen all of them, mm -hmm. not all of them, obviously, but I've seen a lot of them and they are good resources. And if you are the kind of person that genuinely find that kind of stuff interesting, that you should, you should check it out. So you were saying, uh, hacker rank, leak code, um, the cracking decoding interview and many, many other go check them out and, it will do you more, you know, good than harm overall. 
One of the things that uh, could actually really help people is career fair. Yes, there were definitely also loads at many universities at McGill. They definitely had them. Georgia Tech, they did have them. Uh, when you're talking about just submitting your CV, like what, what are good pointers? I mean, like fortunately, yours got through and then, you know, it made a good impact. What are some good pointers for people that are at these career fair and just, you know, throwing out their CV for them? Was there some, something, you know, what was your secret sauce in your, in your CV at that time? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. So one thing to, uh, I would say that really would help getting the interview itself is having a really good resume. Um, so, um, yeah, so you want to make sure that, um, that it's, it's, that it's very technical, that you, that you have all of your, your program language that you know listed, that you've, um, you have a very good objective statement, um, that you're listing your courses and really having a lot of projects. Um, and you're, if, assuming you haven't had an inter- you haven't had an internship before, having like a, a section, uh, uh, the, the, the largest section in your, resume should be dedicated to just talking about technical projects and you want to and for each one for each project you want to talk about you want to go into quite a bit of detail like what was the project um how you um how how you like uh, how successful is the project um and uh, what you um what to, what did you use to um complete the project and it, and it should be um very technical you have to basically just show off your technical knowledge when in, in that section and also if it's it could be a, a class project or um, a lot of people uh, have individual projects that they that they do in their free time and those actually do um, help a lot I did not have such I did not have the time for that kind of individual project but I've, I've heard that those um, projects that you that you pursue outside of outside of your coursework really do help um, so yeah having that um, and you sh- there is a course, there was a course in uh, in Georgia Tech that I took where they explained, where they actually had like a template of, um, of, like, a, of, like, a, of like a really good technical resume and what that looks like. So if you have a class like that, that would be very helpful. But it's, yeah, having that great resume that shows off your technical knowledge um, would really help you land the interview. So that's, that's the first step. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, even describing it that way... Um... Because some people have done that. Some people have their side projects. Some people have their uh, projects that are part of the curriculum, but they're not able to articulate it in a way that looks good or in a way that is presented, you know, in a, in a good light on a CV. So like having the help and the resource to be able to do that as a step one is a good call out to be like, yes, you've done a lot, but you need to like, you know, present it in a way that somebody else could digest it and understand what you went through. So yeah, that is great. Uh, a great advice over there. And then when we talk about the interview, so... You did end up getting a call up for an interview at Uber for the internship position, which is always a good call to have, like whenever, <laughs> whenever you hear something like that. That's right. Do you remember that question? And do you remember what language you, you use for, uh, for that, I guess, interview? Yeah, so um, Java, I was actually, when I was applying for, um, when I was applying, when I was applying for Uber, this was around the time that I, want, I wanted to uh, pivot towards uh, taking more software classes, taking more CS classes, and for my um, for pursuing that CS minor in artificial intelligence, I had to first take um, the Java class, the basic Java class, and the data structures and algorithms class. So it was during that semester when I was applying to Uber that I was taking the data structures and algorithms class. So it was very fresh in my mind. Um, so these, so that was actually that was actually very helpful as compared to if I had taken it like two years earlier, like a lot of people do. A lot of people take, the CS people usually take their 
data structures and algorithms class their freshman year, but I was taking it that semester, my which was actually my um, my second semester of junior year. Um, so it was very fresh in my mind, and I was Java was very fresh in my mind too. I was taking I was I was using Java for that course, so I chose um, uh, Java as a language for all of my interviews. Um, yeah, the question was. Um, it was actually like uh, it was a it was actually like Sudoku. That was that was the um, I don't there were there were there were two rounds of interviews. There was um, one phone interview, and I don't remember exactly what the question was. But then there was a second one, which would there was a second interview, which uh, which was the more difficult one, and that one was Sudoku and uh, being able to read, um, being able to determine if uh, a, a a given board, which was um, an array of of numbers, determine whether or not it's a valid Sudoku board. So I had to make sure that all the rows were were between one and nine, and there were no duplicates. And making sure all the columns were between one and nine, and no duplicates. And making sure that every um, every section of uh, three by threes were uh, one through nine, and no duplicates. So I so the data structures. An algorithms class did help because I, I I learned about um, a hash set data structure and that's what I used to determine whether or not there were um, unique values, uh, whether it's in the rows, the columns, in each three by three section. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like let's let's be clear that they did not give you any indication of what data structure you should you should be no. using for any of these questions, and no. you're the one that's in control. Be like. You need to know, you know, how to represent it in a, I guess, binary way. I don't know. Well, it wasn't binary because I think Sudoku, you you have more than just zeros and ones. It's like one to nine, I guess, at that point. Yeah, so was, zero through nine. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's zero in Sudoku. Yeah, I I was a ten by ten board. I from a, from what I recall. Oh wow! All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they really <laughs> stepped it up a notch and really tried Actually, to get you to do it. Hold on. No, I think you're right. It was one through nine. Yeah, because it was a, if it's a, each section was was three by three, then that's yeah nine spaces. So yeah, sorry. yeah, my bad. Yeah, one through nine. Or depending if you wanted to represent from zero to eight, it's up to you. However you want to do it at that point. But that's actually a really fun problem. I haven't yeah. done anything similar for the many many interviews I've done throughout my my whole career. Yeah, I haven't come across you know something. Well, I have come something across something similar, but it's mostly like a chessboard or a checkerboard. Those are fairly uh, popular as well. So. Um, I'm glad that you left a really good impression during that time because uh, next thing you know, you did get accepted into their internship program at Uber. Um, not only have I heard about their internship program and people have been enjoying it, but having you know your point of view of somebody actually going through it, that's even more interesting. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the operations side behind it. You were living at on campus at Georgia Tech during that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And they were basically having you on site for the internship, right? Yeah, so the internship was actually um, during the summer. Um, it was a summer internship, so I had um, I had finished my uh, my my third year at um, at Georgia Tech, and I um, yeah, and I I I, uh, I traveled to San Francisco for the internship. Yeah. Did um, I do know some companies like Facebook and Apple? They pay for everything. Did they cover a lot of your housing? Did they cover a lot of the travels? Like was you know was there any uh, flex in any of that? No, they actually did not. For for um from my full time job, they did. They they um they paid for um the the moving expenses, but for this, no, I I had to pay for it. Um, yeah, but I was able to find a place that wasn't too bad in terms of expense. 
Oh yeah, I mean um, we can talk about that about the whole Bay Area situation and finding somewhere to live and everything. That's always something that I talk about a lot often. But nah, no, like I, I mean, if you're really like very fortunate, you'll have the very lucky internships where they will fly you out and then cover whatever three four months of you staying there. Like I have heard those story, and obviously I haven't gone through any of it. But yeah, my bad. I'm misremembering. Yes, they actually did pay、um, a little bit, but it wasn't. It wasn't like. The reason why I misremember is because it wasn't. They didn't. It didn't cover the entire cost of. They they did pay for the flights and they did pay for. They did give like a lump sum each month to pay for,、um, for housing. It was like,、um, I think it was like one thousand or something like that. But I was I, I found a place that was like, that was、uh, a bit more expensive. It was like a place that's two thousand a month. So yeah, it did. There was some expense there. At least、yeah. there's that, because yeah, I know I know my uni days weren't the prettiest, but <laughs> having that helping hand at the end is really cool. So I mean, because I'm obviously I love geeking up about、uh, about this whole thing, like just you know being there and being present. So one thing you know, you're you're、uh, at Georgia Tech. Next thing you know, you're in San Francisco. You're、mm-hmm. tackling something completely different. What did that look like? Your first step inside. I don't know where were you located. Were you located at Uber HQ? Yeah, I was not actually located in Uber HQ.、Um, this was、um, a building uh, uh, further down、uh, Market Street. This was、um, this was five 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 Market Street.、Um, Very specific. <laughs> it's like、uh, I don't know which direction is the Westfield Mall from here. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's like if you if you from here if you keep going in that direction and you just keep going down that road, you'll you'll find that you'll find that five 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 building. I don't know. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's that's where I was. That's where my team was working at during my internship. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's actually another good thing that we could probably mention is,、uh, did you have an option to choose which team you get into for your internship? So I'm pretty sure there were loads of discussion by the time、uh, they were happy to take you into the program. What did that conversation look like? Did you choose a team, or because I know your mindset at that time was trying to focus more on software. Yeah.、Um, yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah, there are a bunch of teams that I.、Um, There, like I, I base I from our, I, we got to pick like our top three choices in terms of teams that、um, that we wanted to、um, that we wanted to、uh, that we wanted to pick.、Um, I remember my first choice was like the maps team, and then my second choice、uh, was like infrastructure.、Uh, so I did not get into maps, but I got into infrastructure. And、um, yeah, within that infrastructure team, which is a pretty large team, there.、Um, There is the configuration, which is actually the people they are going to be working with. Like the configuration team was the team of ten people that I, yeah, that I that I ended up with, and specifically in that whole large infrastructure group. I mean, yeah, even just thinking about because people say the word software engineering, they assume that there's just one software engineering team, but when you kind of break it down, it's probably not like that. No, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's also it's not always fair to say there's a lot of startups out there. That you know obviously can't afford having all these like subdivision of software engineering and like you just have all these full stack developers everywhere at the end of the day. Yeah. But、um, if we talk about just you know your specific scenarios at Uber, yes, they're really they're an established. I mean, they haven't always been like that, but they're in a good position nowadays to have good software engineering practices. And one of the practices that is breaking down you know which part of their product is you know when you talk about maps and infrastructure, there's probably another team that deals with the different apps like probably on iOS, and you probably have another team that deals with the Android team. Yeah, and then you have another team that just probably takes care of all the APIs that you know that needs to be requested throughout the whole time.、Um, so it is really interesting that you ended up on the infrastructure team. And、yeah. 
How much would you say you knew what to do before going into the program then, uh, then I guess like, and how much of that did you learn after it? Because like some people would know a little bit before going into it, but by the time like you realize that you're in an internship at one of the bigger companies in, in the States, how, I guess, confident were you the day that you started doing that? I mean, it was, it was pretty uh, daunting. I mean, like this was getting that Uber internship was really when like things like when when my my career really pivoted in like a positive way like i was um like i i actually that was my first internship actually i did not uh um like i didn't find my um i, I even though i got taken computer engineering classes um my like my freshman my freshman year and, and sophomore year of college like i wasn't able to get internships that i was applying for um and it was only after i decided okay i, I instead of applying for like computer engineering related uh, internships. I want to purely prefer software engineering. And that's really when, you know, things, my career pivoted in a positive way. And I was, not only did I get an internship, a software engineering internship, I got a software engineering, software engineering internship at a, at one of the top companies at a huge company, Uber. And it, it just, it's just like a, like just a huge opportunity just came to me. Like here I was in San Francisco, here in Silicon Valley, interning for one of the great companies one of the top companies uber and it's like i guess i wasn't i i I wasn't sure like how much i really like how prepared i was for it not not having done previous internships um so it was like a lot of ramping up and learning um Mm -hmm. during my internship but like what motivated me was um using the knowledge that i've learned that i learned so far um the, whether it's the data structures class, which I found helpful, the operating systems class, that was a, a tough class, but it was, I mean, I, I it was very helpful in terms of the knowledge that I got from that OS class. Um, and I was just applying all that, and I was just very motivated to do well. And and even though I was, I, I was given this great opportunity, um, just being very, like using the knowledge that I've had so far, just being very determined to do the best that I can. And in the end, I, I learned a lot and I did well in my internship. Well, yeah. yeah. You keep on saying in the end, but it's definitely not over. So. No, yeah. In the end, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. In the end of the internship, of course, it did, it did you know, end up great. So, yeah. I think it's really good to just emphasize a little bit that it hasn't. It's, it's not always roses, right? Like, it's not always, like, everything perfect on the first try. When you're mentioning that there has been maybe other opp- opportunities that didn't go through the first time. But then, like, when you did find one and seize a chance to it and really just, you know, enjoy the ride and really learn from it. So I do like the aspect that, yes, there is a lot of, you know, expectations that you probably had before that were not met. Same for me as well. I probably had a lot of stuff that <laughs> didn't come fruitful at the end. But knowing the ones that do turn out good, you just seize them and, you know, do the best of what you can do. It. Um, with the internship going on, actually, one of the things that uh, obviously that I love talking about is you got into the infrastructure team. Were there other uh, interns during that time, or was it just you, the main focus of that uh, of that team, of having the intern coming in and really just absorbing everything from that? Or how did that look like? You mean within just within my team? Yeah, within the infrastructure team. Like, was there like a class of interns that joined that infrastructure team, or was it just you that you, the intern in quotation marks, that joined the infrastructure team? No, there were there were interns um, in in, um, in a bunch of teams. Um, so within um, that like the the like the, my the configuration team that smaller team that 10 people where the 10 people that I would um I would communicate with um yeah there was one other intern um I'd actually like coincidentally I'd actually met him earlier like I was actually looking for 
roommates for um, for housing, and I I met him on some San Francisco housing Facebook group, and we actually like hung, we we ended up not um, we ended up not uh, rooming together. Um, but I I'd known at the time that he was also interning for Uber, and we hung out a little bit, and then it just so happened that we were we were both on the same team. Uh, which is a, a huge coincidence. Yeah, I mean, huge coincidence. Uh, so yeah, we. I was. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so yeah, he was the other intern, intern on my on my configuration team, and yeah, we hung out a lot. Um, but I also, uh, you know, throughout the throughout the summer. Uh, but yeah, there were other interns that I that I met. Um, just whether it's during lunchtime or um, during dinner time. Like Uber actually serves dinner, so I would <laughs> I would normally. Um, yeah, I would normally go to the. To, to the HQ office for dinner, and that's where I would meet other interns there, and there are a bunch of them um, that I would, you know, uh, that I would meet and talk to. And yeah, there was also like a, um, like a, like an icebreaker, like sort of um, like a like a orientation sort of thing uh, at the very beginning of internship. And there were um, not not all of them were interns, but like there were a lot of interns who were there. And yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I did meet intern people there as well. That's great. I mean, like, just it's because they know it's worth the investment to making sure that everybody who joins the team, whether it's going to be a full time permanent role or just as temporarily, that they do have this sense of belonging, but also just that they they it could last forever. It could last some like the impact that you do is never temporary, right? Like whatever whatever whether you contribute a lot or whether you don't contribute at all during that internship, like it could have a big lasting impact, and it can just be a game changer at the end. So I think that investment on making sure that in like interns or whoever new joining like understands that is definitely very important so i do see the appeal of you know the icebreakers and everything and make sure everything is comfortable um i would understand why that happens so that's great and if we talk real real briefly in terms of like the mentorship in there because the whole point of an internship is that you do have some guidance and internship uh, well sorry guidance and you know mentorship throughout the whole thing what did that look like? Were you assigned just one, I guess, more senior engineer and going through it? Or was it just like you bouncing back with, between different engineers on that team and figuring out like how to make stuff, I guess? Yeah, so um, uh, every intern is assigned um, an intern, to a mentor and a manager. So the manager is not necessarily the, um, is not, that's not the manager of the team, but it's just someone who's more senior that you'll be working with. And the mentor is someone who's more junior. So I was working a lot with my with my mentor, um, and yeah, um, and we would like and uh, those the man, the mentor and the manager would discuss with me um, the internship project that they had planned for me uh, for those three months, and every um, and every week or so we would we would meet up and we would we would and we would talk. I would have a, every week I'd have a, a meeting with my mentor and a meeting with my with the, with my manager. And usually we would talk like uh, I would ask him. I could ask him questions, and he would sort of. And he would also like uh, you know uh, uh, give me like a brief lesson about like the like the tech stack, or get, or tell me or explain to me some technical stuff. Um, and yeah, he uh, the mentor was um, he was a uh, was a really smart guy. Uh, he was a um, he studied computer science at Carnegie Mellon, uh, so he's he's pretty bright, and he interned at a bunch of places like uh, like uh, like he was a uh, he was once at Microsoft, like he and by that time he was he was a full time engineer at Uber for like um, for many years. He was like um, he was a bit he was a bit older than me, like 
he was like, uh, I was 21 at the time. He was like 27. Yeah, but he's had some experience. But yeah, he was smart. Like he was, uh, he, not only would he help me, but he, I would see him also um, explaining technical stuff to other um, other like to, to like the full-time engineers on the team and yeah I learned a lot from him yeah That's and he was very helpful uh, he was a very helpful mentor any uh, German internship well yeah because I mean that's the most valuable thing we don't want you well I guess we don't want interns getting in there and just trying to figure out themselves because the whole point of having these internships is that you are exposed to other people yeah. that have gone through probably like a lot of stuff and like and make it as relevant as possible for whatever you're learning there at that time and then when you were mentioning that they did have a project, I guess, planned for you, was it was the whole sake of that to just, I guess, keep you busy for like three months? Or was it something that did end up contributing in directly into, I guess, the infrastructure or the configuration that uh, is currently there at Uber? Yeah, well, it was something they were they were def- they were definitely planning, um, like that they uh, that they um, it was something that um, that was meant to be that that was like useful for. Um, like the for the team, so we were uh, in the middle of um, constructing like a new UI. Um, so I, I should briefly explain what the team actually does. So um, we work on this uh, configuration tool called Flipper. So it's an intern internal configuration tool um, that our team develops. Um, and Flipper is basically um, it's used for dynamic configuration by other engineering teams, whether or not it's, it could be used, for example, um, if they want to, um, like, like store data or to, um, whether or not they want to like execute like a, a piece of code. So let's say they want to execute a piece of code and, but they want, they, they, um, uh, they want it to depend on a certain condition. Let's say they want it to be executed, for example, like in only like a certain city, um, then they might use they might wrap they might use Flipper. Uh, they would create something called a Flipper property, and they would wrap that code around that Flipper. And depending depending on whether or not that that code is true or false, that code would be executed. So like instead of having to like modify the code, uh, uh, and all they would have to do is just um, modify the Flipper and the Flipper UI and say, okay, I want this code to only be. Uh, uh, rolled out in this city or in all these cities. It, it just it's it's much easier when working with this with this flipper property as opposed to, as opposed to having to mess around with the code. Um, so that's that's what we work on. Um, so we were in the middle of developing uh, a new UI, um, and we were planning on using um, something called uh, Protobuf. Uh, have you have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we uh, so part of creating flipper properties creating the property itself and also like creating um, the structure of the property, which is called the property type. So the structure has been created using um, JSON schema, but we were uh, developing a new UI, Flipper V2, and we were thinking about whether or not we would use protobuf instead of JSON schema um, as a way of defining that property structure. So I my project was implementing um, uh, protobuf implement uh, adding protobuf as an option for um, uh, creating a structure for that property, and that was my internship. I had to develop it on the back end, um, implement dual deserialization, deserialization of protobuf messages, and also um, adding the implementation on the front end. Um, so they they did find it very useful, but 
Unfortunately, they scrapped that UI and they ended up developing a new Flipper V UI like entirely. Like so, uh, because they scrapped that entire new tool that they were developing um, uh, since my internship, my my project that I worked on isn't currently there. But it was helpful at the time. Yeah. Yeah, even just putting all that into perspective, like mm -hmm. those are very common problems. I guess common when you're talking about the configuration of like when you're talking about, I guess, for a specific city, like that's one among many, many, many other conditions slash flags to check. Like when we're talking about a condition or like a template of all the different configurations, like that could be endless because I do not have worked a lot of projects that have very a lot of different configurations at that point. So knowing that. Um, most of the projects that I have dealt with configurations, like we didn't have a separate team to deal with it because uh, the companies weren't that big. But knowing that, uh, I guess the thought about making it scalable and apply to as many cities in your case for as you need to, that's always a good problem to have. And then um, when you're talking about these different, you know, JSON schema, or whatever, like a lot of people just take it by default that if everything was JSON in real life, like I'll be great. But <laughs> that's going to be a topic of discussion for later. But that is already great to understand like what were you going through during that internship I guess because this is as you're saying this is the third year of Georgia Tech um was this did, did you graduate at that time or was it uh how did that fit in because I do know currently like you are at Uber at a full-time role so big congrats on that as well yeah. mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out how the transition went so if we just have a quick brief of what happened during the internship is that you got accepted to the program uh you've been on site during the summer um to work directly with the team at one of the offices no, I was that no, it wasn't at Uber HQ. It was at uh, near Mission Bay, and then you got to be directly on site and work with the team there and everything. Yeah. So okay. So I, I need to clarify the my current building is the Mission Bay building, but the my my, my the building I was at it for my internship, it was somewhere along. It was uh, it was a different building on Market Street. That's right. right. Okay. It was another building on that time. All right, right. So okay. Let's try to bit bridge the cap. Sorry, bridge the gap real quickly in terms of like. Okay. So after the three months of internship working on a pretty really interesting project. If I, if I think about it with all the different problems that you had to think of, yeah. how did that transition look like? Because I think, I think a lot of people that do end up with a great you know, story and you know, very, uh, people that I want to relate to is uh, going from the internship and then actually you know, getting to live that day to day more than just the summer, more than just the three months that you were there. So what, what was the steps after that? Yeah, so in the end, yeah, I did, um, I did, I, I did well in my internship, and in the end, uh, I mean, I learned a lot, and in the end, I got the full-time offer towards the end. And yeah, then going back to uh, Georgia Tech, my final year at Georgia Tech, um, I felt, you know, I felt very different, like having taken the internship, like I, 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 was, um, I was much more skilled as a computer scientist, I was much more comfortable with software, I was, um, yeah, I was, I was just a, a, a much more just a much stronger uh, uh, software student, um, and yeah, and that definitely had an influence on um, my performance my fourth year. So I did I, I I did very well my my fourth year at Georgia Tech. I took you know some tough classes, but I I ended up excelling. I ended up you know getting good grades in those classes and um, learning a lot. And yeah, that transition from from Uber to my fourth year. At Georgia Tech, that was a pretty good transition. Did they? Um, well, I mean, in my in my head, whenever I think about this kind of stuff, is obviously you'd be eager at that time to finish your year and just like going through with it. Yeah. Um, did they require? I guess obviously the requirement is that you actually graduate, so that's probably like requirement number one, yeah. making sure that you go through it. But um, did they do like another round of an interview after that, or 
they didn't even have to worry about that just because you've done the internship and they, they've seen what they're dealing with. Like at that point, it was basically just making sure that you guys agree on an offer and then that's it. Or did they actually give you another interview, round of interview and make you go through that? No, I didn't have to interview. Like once I got the full-time offer at the end of my internship, like that was it. I was expected to come back uh, after I graduate and, and, and continue. Yes, and then make the permanent move to, you know, the lovely city of San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, that kind of reels into what you're dealing with today. So that's always great. I mean, let's dive into that um, in terms of, you did mention already that today you deal a lot with, the, with Golang and then do a lot of JavaScript. Do they use TypeScript, at least? Or do they use some sort of higher level framework on top of JavaScript on your day-to-day life? Um... It's funny if you say you're using pure vanilla. <laughs> no, like, no, it's, it's, so we use this, um, so again, TypeScript is used for like checking types. So we, we do have that, but it's, um, we use, um, something called, uh, React, uh, you, you know, React. Yeah. So we use React for, um, uh, implementing components. It's how we like, uh, add like, like a button scroll bar, drop down, things like that. So I guess it's a combination of, you know, React knowledge, JavaScript, HTML, or, you know, we use all those things for the, for the front end stuff. That's uh, really yeah. cool. And just to be sure, you are still on the same team today that you were during your internship. Yeah, I am actually. Like, I, I really love my team um, during my internship. I like the people there. There are, you know, a lot of smart people there. They're really nice. And yeah, I was glad to come back to the same, to the same team. And I'm pretty sure you're dealing with even more different problems nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's definitely going to be endless. Uh, yeah. It's a yak that you just never end up you and, know, fully shaving. And yeah, unlike, unlike my internship, which, which was my impact wasn't permanent. Yeah, I've already done a lot of work uh, since becoming a full-time that is, that's, ha- that's having a permanent in- and, and uh, positive impact on the company and the team. I think that's great. I yeah. think like I always geek out about these kind of things, uh, just knowing like if I want to go a little bit you know, slightly deeper into the details, like version control system. What are we talking about here? Are they still using Git? They're probably not using Git or are they using something called, I guess, like Mercury or other stuff like that? Like, how did that look like? No, we are using Git actually. Right. All right. So me and my assumptions, because <laughs> um, I do know a lot of different companies use different ones. Um, but yeah, like these are kind of just a comparison when uh, you have many, many, many engineers all across different teams. I'd assume that there's thousands of engineers at Uber. Not everybody's in the same repo, I'm assuming. No, um, that's, yeah, that's not how it is. Um, so, um, Uber has, um, a microservice architecture system. So, uh, uh, instead, of having, instead of having like a, um, like a monolithic, yeah. like <laughs> architecture, which like if, if something fails, like the entire app goes down, the entire company goes down, um, it's, it's split up into a, a bunch of different services. So once there are, even though they are like dependent, and like the fail, if one service fails, that 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 could affect other services. It doesn't affect everything. So um, yeah, there are for each for each service, um, there is like a, a a different repo. I mean, that's always really cool. That it makes sense. Like if we talk about the architecture and all the system stuff, like it makes sense to have it that way. Yeah. I don't know when the whole boom of microservices came out, but nowadays a lot of times they'll figure out uh, that a lot of stacks are like that. I know some projects are. Mono repoed, but it's like divided into different uh, deployments. So they, you will have different microservices, but they still live in the same repo. And then oh. it's just like, oh yeah, everybody's pulling from the same one. I've seen that, but yeah, yeah, there is like a mono repo where we have like different services, but in like in one uh, in one repository. Um, yeah. That's the case for um, 
the 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 Flipper V2, the 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 new the new Flipper V2 that we're working on right now, that I'm actually working on right now. That's part of a a a, a, a larger modern repo. But there is like a there's a repo for um, the backend service. There's a there's a, a repo for the caching service. There's a, a repo for like um, like for like the data. I mean that's so cool because those are problems that ev- like nearly every tech company out there has to figure out. Uh, we have to figure out you know data structure, uh, not data structure, database cache, all the fun stuff, all the API endpoints that are hitting that <laughs> database at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, we haven't really talked about is yes, you do get exposed to a lot of different engineers on your team, but in a realistic setting, there's a lot of other characters in this whole story, right? There's product managers, product designers, all this kind of fun stuff. Even talking about the UI that you're talking about, how does that all fit in? Do you make the call in terms of, I want to put a button there, or is there some other kind of vetting where a designer will come up with a prettier interface for the configuration page that other engineers would use? Yeah, so we did have a designer. Um, so I was, um, even though I'm working on, um, I'm on working on the Flipper tool right now, um, a few months ago, I was actually on like, um, so, f- uh, I was working on a different tool, uh, within the configuration team called Cascade. And, uh, that tool is used to configure, um, the, uh, the, the different Uber products. So the, the operate, the operations team, the city operations team would use this tool that we developed called Cascade, um, to configure the different properties of Uber products, whether it's like pricing, uh, maximum uh, capacity in the vehicle, um, uh, different attributes like that, and um, those and those uh, that kind of that configuration would directly affect um, the Uber product itself, whether it's Uber X or a specific Uber Eats product, for example. Um, so for that project, when I was working on Cascade, yes. There was a designer that we had that to de- to design um, the new UI, uh, the Cascade V2. Um, so she was not technical at all. All she her job was only to um, uh, lay out what the design was supposed to look like. And we engineers just sort of gave our opinions and then just said we yeah we agree on this. And then our job was then just to implement the UI. Um, following the designs that we were given. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it does sound like a relatable story when you have like back and forth between the designers and making sure that it is a doable design. A lot of times it's like, nobody asked for this animation. I mean, I mean, it's, it's obviously it may not be your case, but it's just some stuff that throughout the years that I've seen, it's always fun to talk about. And uh, I guess, are you, do you guys use more uh, product managers or project managers or program managers? Like, do you have a term for people that usually keeps track of what needs to be built? No, I mean, uh, we have our engineering managers um, in our teams, um, but they also are technical. They also, um, like, they also uh, do engineering work. Um, yeah, there is there is the lar- the the main configuration uh, manager, but he doesn't do anything technical. And I guess, yeah, his job is really just to uh, come up with plans for to help us plan out, you know, product and stuff. But he's 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 not very involved in terms of uh, the technical stuff. Okay, right, yeah, because every product needs somehow like a direction of does it actually meet, you know, 
do, are people going to use it? That kind of thing. So I guess yeah. a lot of those questions. Like, does it meet what the stakeholders want, basically? Yeah, and that's always critical because God knows uh, if whatever you're building is useful. Not you specifically, but any engineer out there is like, yeah. how do we know what we're building is useful at the end? So that's right. That's always great. And uh, if we talk about the, I guess, Uber life, I don't know how you guys call it, but what does that look like from a day-to-day -day nowadays? Because obviously we live in a slightly different time. In, no, in more normal times, you would be on-site, uh, whatever, you'll probably get paid lunch and dinner or something uh, on top of it. What does, I guess, your day-to-day -day look like now that we're still living-ish in a pandemic? Remote work, what else is there? Yeah, um, I mean, we're, the, like, the work is still there. We're, we're working on great things, like, just like my internship. Um, uh, we're, um, I, I really like the technical work. Um, but I guess we don't really feel, like, connected, in like, socially. Um, where all of our meetings are virtual. We have some, like every few weeks or so, we have like a virtual event, whether it's like um, like a like a virtual lunch or something, or sometimes we have like a, these baking events where, uh, where uh, the someone or someone, we get, we get, we get we re, each of us in our team, we, we receive like this baking kit and while having the Zoom call, we're, we're making something. But it's like, it's, I, I don't, the, the, the connection, isn't really there. Like when we're talking, it's usually about um, during virtual meetings, talking about technical stuff. Um, it normally, um, and like right now, even though like the offices are technically, are technically open, like not many people are showing up. So it's like, I've only met like a few people so far in person at the office, but like they don't usually, like they don't, uh, they only come like maybe a couple times a week. Um, and it's usually like just like me and like one other person maybe. Um, but normally, if it was all in person, we would um, have like lunch together. Like every, uh, uh, pretty often, we, uh, we would go to restaurants. Um, from what I call, from what happened, from what I recall from my internship, like we would have like, um, we, like we would have like you know we had like a picnic once, um, and yeah, we would you know I remember like we would you know not just talk, we would you know talk about many different things like we would like joke around and things like that. And yeah, that all that was really nice. Um, yeah, that stuff is 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 missing now. But like, you know, what can you do uh, given the current situation? But yeah, that's basically the that's that's how the situation is right now compared to how the situation normally is. Yeah, exactly. And then I mean, hopefully we're almost uh, past the corner there. And then at least they they're there to give you any kind of support. I'm guessing that you probably have some subsidies in terms of if you need a better setup at home and then all the kind of fun stuff. They they are there to help you with that, right? Yeah, they are there. Um, because I do know that a lot of people were debating on that by the time that, yes, it's forced work, but then a lot of companies are willing to, you know, go out of their way and be, uh, if you need a, whatever, an extra screen at home, we're more than happy to help you with that. And Yeah, that's right. If you want to have like, um, like your own, like, uh, like a monitor, for example, or like a little, like sort of your own like personal desk system in your, in your, uh, in your, um, in your home office, you can order those things and they'll give it to you for free. Um, I haven't chosen those things. I didn't find them necessary. Like I just, I feel fine just using my laptop. So yeah, there are different ways to accommodate. And like right now, like we're, you know, um, it's beginning to get back to normal. Like even though like not, not many people are coming back to the office right now, like that number is increasing as like currently that number is increasing. And like there are more like, uh, earlier when I first started coming to the office, there weren't any snacks that were available in the office, but now there, there are a lot of snacks. So it's like, it's becoming like, it's becoming increasingly more comfortable to come back to the office. And now they're starting to serve uh, hot foods during lunch. Um, 
so yeah, I have not have not used that yet, but I, that's what I plan on taking eating, going to the office just for some hot food um, sometime yeah. next week. It's, and yeah, hopefully that will incentivize more people to come. So if there are you know a bunch of people in my team showing up, like like I'll feel more connected, you know. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, even having this conversation, nobody expected it to have this kind of conversation like months ago or years ago. Yeah, definitely. So that's always an interesting time. Yeah. Um, when you're saying talking to other people, you guys probably use Slack at work. I don't know. I'm just guessing. These are all just the random questions that I have. Yeah, for we for direct messages we use Slack, and for virtual meetings we use Zoom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So those are quite, I guess, very common Slack. Do you think about it? Um, I don't know. These are the kind of stuff that I personally find interesting in terms of like how people communicate nowadays. Like some people will be adamant Microsoft Teams, or they're probably forced onto Microsoft Teams. Poor them. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't take any side on any of this. Um, one thing I did want to dive into. I do know a lot of different companies have a kind of system in terms of what kind of engineer you are, like first year, second year kind of thing. Um, what does that look like at Uber? For example, I think at Facebook, they use something like E1 to E4. Did you, like, uh, I'm guessing, like, well, did, was that like a discussion that you had uh, through with your mentorships and managers and all that in terms of where does this software engineering ladder you sit in as you grow in your, in your position? Yeah, so there's like, um, there's like different, there's like levels like, uh, like, um, there's like L1, like L2, L, there's like L3, L4, L5, and you're, you can be like a software engineering one, a software engineering two. So yeah, right now, um, yeah, right now I'm a software, I'm a, I'm an L3 software engineer. So that's like, that's where you start out, um, uh, just being a new grad software engineer. Um, and the next level would be L4 and I'm planning on, um, getting promoted like sometime this year. So there are certain like f- like requirements I have to like complete, certain like competencies I have to finish, um, and yeah, I'm working with my, man- with my manager. Um, like like his goal and my goal are, are are to finish those requirements so I can get promoted um, by like fall of this year. Yeah, and become an L four. Because I I think it's always a fascinating topic that um, okay, so there's a lot of hard parts in even formulating this ladder or this like grid of levels and everything because i do know like some companies don't even have that to begin with just oh. because they weren't at that stage and then even when you talk about the bigger company it's not a standardized system not every company uses the same way of you know figuring out what competencies go where kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh this topic itself could be a complete separate episode i think i did one previously talking about this so we'll leave it at the hat um mm-hmm. one of the last thing i do want to dive into is not only are you doing that uh full-time but you're also taking the time to even dabble into a graduate degree if you get the chance to. What does that sound like? Yeah, so I've been thinking about um, uh, of uh, pers- like even though like I'm I'm doing software engineering to um, look at something like um, AI related, like I, as I talked about before, like I I um, I chose to minor in artificial intelligence, so I want to sort of expand my knowledge there. Um, so that's the main reason I'm planning on applying to grad school um even though like i've just i've just uh started off with this full-time job like um uh just about like uh just about like nine months ago um i don't plan on actually going to grad school for like at least a few years like i want to sort of i want to gain experience uh, software engineering for maybe like just, just a couple years but yes after that i do want to go to grad school so yeah, right now um, I I want I'm studying for the GRE, uh, which is the entrance exam for grad school, and I'm and I want to take it this year just to get it out of the way. Um, so it, it'll be that's that school will be will be good for like 
like five years if, oh, wow. if, I, if I want to apply a couple of years from now. Uh, that's smart. I mean, the if it's valid for that long, then might as well get out of the way. And then I'm pretty sure the content is more fresh in your mind and more relevant to, I guess, your studies than if you did it a couple of years down the line and trying to remember um, any of the, I guess, school topics that you studied during your undergrad. So yeah. I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, like this GRE stuff is actually not like like CS related at all. It's actually oh. like there's actually the math the math section is is stuff that I learned like in high school and uh, high school and middle school and yeah, there's the reading section and there's like an essay section. So yeah, it is sort of like it's sort of, it's like a blast from the past. Looking at, look thinking about all things that I haven't really thought uh, I haven't really learned about since since mm-hmm. high school. Um, but yeah, I, I I like to get it out of the way, and then in the end, the purpose is to get a better, uh, to further expand my CS education. That's well, yeah. the ultimate goal. And I'm assuming that the graduate degree will be in CS or like whether machine learning or like AR or any anything similar in that field. That yes, it will so. be it will be a CS uh, CS master's degree. That's great. One of the questions I have to ask is, Uber going to comp it? <laughs> they might. They might actually. Okay. So I would like I would I, I would like for that to happen. Um, this was not a conversation that I've I haven't really looked into this, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think like these are just questions I always ask because if I were in that position, I something that's something I'm, I would just think about. So um, yeah, I always ask myself the question: Do I want to go back to school? And like every year, it's always the same thing. I obviously didn't do the GRE or I didn't study for any of that. But I think the big question for people, I, I guess I guess in my shoe is a lot of like. Do I go back to graduate degree? Do I want to do an MBA? Like, do I want to do a lot of that stuff? And then if any of that is combined, whoever's paying me nowadays, I'll be more than happy to do it. So it's always good to have your take on what's happening nowadays. Yeah. But um, man, we covered a lot of things. I think like one of the better gems at the end is what kind of advice do you have for people that are going through or want to go through the same path as you did? Because yes, you were mentioning there were hardships, there were rejections, there were different times, but then like stuff did fortunately work out well and you really learn to embrace and really cherish, you know, and pushing, keep on pushing forward, really. You didn't, you're not stopping anywhere right now. You just keep on going. So for the people who are going through the similar-ish process, like lay it out there. Like what should they know? Yeah, I would say definitely, um, yeah. Uh, uh, if you're, if you want to become like a, like a, uh, if you want a great software engineering job, you definitely should pursue um, the, the CS path. Um, even though I, I, I chose CE and I and I took like I took all the necessary I, I, I was able to take the, all the necessary CS classes it would be best if you ch- if you if you choose to major in in computer science I would say yes apply to apply for computer science and apply for the best schools in computer science and make sure that um, that you you get internships every every summer and that'll really um, help you getting getting your dream software engineering job after you graduate and there's no better way to be <laughs> um, yeah that's amazing like yeah just to say thank you uh for you know giving all this fun advice where can people follow you or even if you're interested like if people want to reach out to you with any kind of you know questions advice or even just wanting for a chat can people find you anywhere uh you can add me on linkedin yeah my name is siddharth Eliswarupu, and if you have that spelled out for them yeah they can easily search search for me in linkedin and add me and i'm happy to to accept your request that's amazing. I mean, yeah, I'll have that all linked in for, well, LinkedIn. I'll have that all linked for everybody who's interested. And uh, yeah. honestly, thank you so much again for being on the show, Sid. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Thank you, Perry. Amazing. All right. And I'll catch you guys on the next one. Take care.